Please be sure to visit our Etsy store for some great Warrior Next Door podcast merchandise. And please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Just go to our Facebook page to sign up and receive each series uncut in its entirety. That intro music can only mean one thing, that this is an air raid edition of the Warrior Next Door podcast. What is an air raid edition, you ask? Well, it's nothing more than additional content that we drop that isn't exactly aligned necessarily with the content that we normally drop. And in this case, this is an interview we did on the most listened to World War II history podcast in the world. It is Ray Harris Jr.'s um, The History of World War II podcast. And he's been gracious enough to have us on his podcast for the past three years where we can share material from The Warrior Next Door with his audience. And, you know, many of our audience members have told us they have been directed to The Warrior Next Door from Ray Harris's podcast. But for those who may not know, we just thought we'd share this interview uncut, unedited with our audience as well. And I don't know, see what you guys think. All right, welcome back to the Warrior Next Door podcast. We got a, something a little bit different today. Well, first, you know, formal introductions. I'm Tony Lupo, and this I'm, is I'm Ryan Fairfield. There we go. It's as formal as we get on this show, <laughs> the, punk, the Punk Rock Podcast. Uh, it's just Ryan and I doing everything. If you hear it on this show, it came from us and no one else. Uh, <laughs> but 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 not entirely. We have had some help along the way, and I would say one of the biggest contributors or um, benefactors that we've had has been Ray Harris Jr., who is had a podcast for over 13 years now. It's called the History of World War II Podcast. And this is not hyperbole when I say it is the most listened to podcast on the history of World War II on the planet Earth. And we, uh, Ryan, uh, go ahead and explain to our audience. We recently had a chance to spend a little time with Ray. That's right. You know, um, this is our third time that we've been on the Ray Harris podcast, I believe. Um, yep. He had us on um, around November or so of 2021. Okay. Yep. And then again last year, and we're lucky enough to have – he had us back on again this year. So um, we can't thank Ray enough, um, and especially all the listeners that have come over to listening to our podcast through listening to us on his podcast. So um, it, we are in, in – deeply indebted to Ray and to the history of World War II podcast for um, all that he's done for us. So now thanks to Ray, we have an audience. It's not as big as his, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) We haven't been around as long as he is. We're working on it. Um, uh, But we want to reciprocate. There may be people who have listened to our podcast who have not listened to the history of World War II. So what you're going to hear next is um, an interview that he conducted with us, as Ryan said, recently on November 28th, I think is when we actually recorded it and it was dropped just a couple of days after that. And what we've been able to do the last couple of years, and it sounds like if you listen to what's going to come up, maybe, maybe Ray will have us on again. But at, at, <laughs> if, 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 if he does, um, what we do is we share some clips, some selected clips from the previous year to share with his audience and then a sneak preview of some clips that we're going to share next year. So for those who are listeners, the warrior next door, you're going to hear some things that you've never heard before and be ready for it. And I'd be remiss if I didn't add one other name out there, which is Len Gardner, my neighbor from Sand Springs, Oklahoma, who back in the day, uh, he and I got big Len, big text. We got in a lot of trouble together <laughs> as, as, as grown ass men. I can't imagine what it would have been like. Church if going met, men. You just, guys got in trouble and you were in the same church together. How do you do that? Yeah. We would have been the 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 we would have been the kids in church who stole the the wine from the altar when the priest wasn't looking. We would have made sure it wasn't the blessed wine because you know we're not we don't want to have an argument. Only to find out that it was grape juice. Damn, it. <laughs> exactly. It's like, dude, what's going on here? 
bait and switch. <laughs> okay. Really anyway. good. okay. <laughs> so, so Len actually was the one who introduced us um, and got us on Ray Harris's uh, show. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy the next hour or so of a recent interview that we had with Ray Harris on his show. And uh, we hope you enjoy some of the new clips if you're a new listener. And if you haven't had a chance to check out Ray Harris's podcast, uh, please do. But for the love of God, keep subscribing to ours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, everybody. And please enjoy the Ray Harris podcast interview with us. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming back onto the show. Uh, we're, uh, as we said, the previous, two, this is our third year. Yes. Where you've actually invited us back, Ray. Right. And, and, and we're eternally grateful for that. We said this last year. We'll say it again, mm-hmm. that, we have an audience now because of you. There are other things Aww. that we've done to right. connect with people, but the largest influx of like-minded individuals have come from you being gracious enough to have us on your show. And Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how many times we've gotten comments from our listeners that say, I found you through the Ray Harris podcast, and uh, we really appreciate it. We're just always indebted to you. No problem. Yeah. For the record, you invited yourself, but we're not going to split hairs. Don't, don't even, don't even worry about it. So that's actually a great segue, Ray, because we put together a special segment for you. Mm. It's, we're going to call it the, um, the warrior next door, uh, look back. So we've, you've, you've invited (laughs) us or we have imposed us on your podcast for the past three years. Right. And so we kept, we put some clips together about how that went. And uh, given the nature of how it went in the past, we're actually quite surprised that you even that you even have us on right now. Yeah, so well, that, that's a valid point. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and and we're going to get to who we think is the real brains behind this, who's allowing this on. But so this first clip we're going to play, Ray, is uh, right. from the first time we were on your show in November of 2021. And it was Ryan and I were going, we're geeking out doing this Ford Chevy thing versus the B24 and the B17. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. See, Ryan's the B17 advocate. Yeah. I'm the B24. I'll even say that the B17 is overrated. Yep, that's a hot take. <laughs> oh. And then, and then Ray, here we, here we are. First time on your show. We're like right. nothing burgers. We still are compared to you. But at the end of the day, you just you just wanted to throw your head in the ring and and, and just kind of share your takes on this, and it didn't go quite as well as we had thought. Ryan, go ahead and play that. Um, and yeah, like you were saying, uh, Churchill, you know, obviously love the B twenty four, but if you're an eighteen or nineteen year old kid and you're oh. in the Pacific and you've got a B seventeen that looks like it's been put through the ringer a couple dozen times, but it, but it doesn't matter if it gets you there and back, you know you're going to fall in love, and you don't want to see. Yeah. Any other plane? Because th- that's what you know, Ray. You're you're absolutely right, and 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 that was a low blow, right? Because <laughs> here I am. I, I'm trying to defend the B24, and then you put no, that I'm on not, the table no, no. because. Okay, so I think it was Tony who was bawling me out a couple of seconds ago. That's never happened on my show before, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> so. So we're we're happy on one hand that we were able to uh, I don't know produce like a. Uh, 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 history of World War II first on your show, but unfortunately, right. it was because here are these new here you are you you are magnanimous. You get us on the show, and uh, and then and then we 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 disrespect you or I disrespect you. Yeah, and so yeah. so imagine in 2022, the next year, when you had us back on. I was kind of like, holy crap! I wonder if he's still a little pissed off about how we how we played that. Now nah, I'm, I'm sure. No. <laughs> no, well, we didn't know that. And so, so, no. so this this happened pretty quickly in the the 2022 episode from last year. Apparently, you didn't forget. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm equally thankful that you guys, even Ryan, are doing <laughs> what you are doing. I really do appreciate. It. I know Tony, you probably do most of the work, but it really is appreciated. <laughs> just, oh, good so, stuff. Here's what's awesome about this, Ray. First off, you remembered. But then you you attack the wrong person. You attack Ryan, yeah. and I was the one. And then and then here's what's even more exceptional: Ryan's my friend, and I didn't even come to his aid. I was like, "Wow, well, you actually was- threw me under the bus, Tony." I did, if I remember I correctly. And you were happy that you did it. I, so, I was I mean, very very pleased with myself. Yeah. Your true so- colors <laughs> bled through shiningly, very yeah, very so- brightly. What what color does a jerk wear? Because that's that's what I am apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I was gonna say so, 
Tony, look up the the uh, the word uh, friend in the dictionary. I think you're gonna. I don't think you think. I don't think it means what you think it means. I, I, apparently not. So so, but it, yeah. it doesn't really end there because in that same episode last year, we started realizing, you know, Ray really doesn't want us on this show. There was someone else who had the magnanimity, who had understood the human frailty, the human condition, to say, you know what. These guys need another chance. And quite frankly, Ray, this person's yeah. a bigger person than you. Go ahead and play this. Yeah, I literally um, wanted to say, because I told my wife this last night that y'all were coming back on the show, and then she said something smart, like, oh, well, you should just have them on every November. I'm like, fine. Yeah. If, if it's going to be oh. a Thanksgiving thing, then, then <laughs> just every just book it in your books now. I like how your wife thinks, Ray. Yeah. So do we, she Ray. really is the co- the compass for your show, apparently. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Well, she's smarter than I am, but I got to be honest, that that's not saying very much. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, she's impressed with herself quite easily. Anyway. So we, no, we, yeah, go ahead. We have one more clip. So, sure. so after this, we wanted to thank your wife for allowing us to be back on your show. And we right. thought, you know, everything's copacetic now. I'm sure that's true. Well, and just a mere three weeks ago, we get this cryptic email from you. I don't know. You're probably on some medications from your illness or whatever. Quote, unquote, <laughs> NyQuil. <laughs> NyQuil, yeah. Whatever you're taking over there in the Carolinas. <laughs> we grow our own. Sorry, that's right. So basically, you ask us, hey, can you go ahead and take the material I've prepared and then produce an episode? And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is like... It's like Jay Leno asking us to to sit in or to 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 be a guest host, and we're like, hell yeah! So we're we bust our ass and we put this together, and we're so excited about it. Mm-hmm. And then we we anticipate the intro, and this is what we get. Go ahead and play it. Programming note: Hey everyone, Ray here. Um, my health issues are playing tag with me, and they and they tag back in. Uh, so I have the next episode written, but as you can probably tell from my voice. Yeah, I'm not reading anything anytime soon. So I had uh, two gentlemen, I use that term loosely, who've been on the show, uh, and they're going to do this episode for me this week. Uh, Tony Lupo and Ryan Fairfield from the Warrior Next Door podcast. I stand by that statement. We dropped everything to help you, and you torched us. Yeah, hey, well... Who started it? Uh, I know. That's really the only thing yeah. that I'm focused on. The bald should... guy in the middle of the screen here is the one who started it all. So, <laughs> so, so really, to what I, what I think I've learned from these clips putting together right. is that uh, I'm a jerk. Uh, yeah. Ray is a Ukrainian grandmother who will hold a grudge forever against the Russians. <laughs> and Ryan, Ryan has bullet holes in both sides of his body from being caught in a crossfire. Yeah, and I'm yeah. okay with that. Again, I'm okay. <laughs> so. so <laughs> Well, on the have, business, yeah. Yes, I, yeah. So, no, I'm seriously, I'm glad you guys are here because um, even though now it's gotten to the point where I think of when you guys come on the show, that's my good charity for the year. I don't have to be nice to anybody for the rest of the year. No, but no, so, no, I'm glad you're here. Well, you need to do it at the beginning of the year then. So, you got the whole rest of the year to do you whatever you good, want. Good point. Okay, next year I'll do it better. But I was thinking, it's like, okay, why have, why have these guys back on? Because no, I was going to make a horrible joke. But anyway, what I got reminded by listening to the last episode that y'all were on is I can read all the books I want. I can, I can write these episodes up and I can deliver them in the masterful way that I do. But hearing from the original, you know, participants, it, it, it reminds you that these, these are normal people, flesh yep. and blood who had lives and their lives were altered by this horrific, horrific event. And they just did the best they could to get through. Cause that's what we all do survive, you know, daily. And uh, so I'm glad that you're back on because you got some very powerful stories. And again, it just reminds us that these are not historical figures. These are people just like us. Mm-hmm. Amen. And to amplify that, I had a chance to listen to an episode you dropped very recently. It might be your most recent one. It was uh, mm-hmm. Luis Andres Moore. Right. And and it it spoke to like the shared mission that we have. I mean, you mm-hmm. are sharing the history. You do it in a way that is really popular, really structured, thoroughly researched. And Ryan and I aren't following a timeline like you are, but we're trying to 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 well, let me just put it this way. One of the things about Louise Andrus Moore during the podcast that really struck me was one, how little her father spoke to her at being a machine gunner during World War II about what he did during the war. Yeah. I mean, his his wife dies, 
He and now the family's taking care of him. And I think I think what she said during a podcast is about half. She so first off, she collected information about about these stories as time was like for 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And about half of it was anecdotes and stories that were shared to her by family and friends. And it it got me thinking about the, the you know, the Veterans History Project, the Warrior Next Door podcast, where we take these interviews that Ryan and I conducted. These are, mm-hmm. you know this, Ray, these are interviews that we sat in her living room. We right. connected with these people. We went to their memorial services. We just had one of those a couple months ago. But at the end of the day, what we've learned is that when we roll into someone's house as kind of a disinterested observer, so to speak, right. they open up to us way more than family. We're able to provide them the DVD of their their parents or grandparents or grandmother's experience, which helps the family. And then mm-hmm. we've learned that that there's some therapy associated with these individuals being able to talk about it. And I just I just really wanted to reach out to Louise and it's like, oh, I messed. I wish I we had met you 17 years earlier. I would have loved <laughs> to have talked to your dad. We probably would have had a better chance of getting some of these stories down than she did. But it it really amplified the need that families have to yeah. have these stories as part of their shared heritage. And, and then lastly, for people like us, where we've got the stories from them that speaks to how humans behave when things are going exceptionally bad or exceptionally well or everything in between. I mean, really what we're talking about, these these clips that we're about ready to play are case studies on a human condition. What do different humans do when they're faced with starvation? Good point. With, with, yeah. When they're faced with liberation, when they when we take for granted all these things, these people are teaching us what we shouldn't take for granted. So right. I, I really love that. It was a great freaking episode. Yeah. So with that, um, we're going to, I'm going to hand it off to Ryan. Ryan's going to take care of the first uh, uh, set of clips. And basically what we're doing is the same thing last year. We're taking mm-hmm. some clips from the 12 or so people that we featured over the course of a year and just sharing them with you guys so we can talk about them. Excellent. All right. Well, um, our first guy that we're going to show you guys or have you listen to is a, a guy named Leo Westerholm. He was a combat medic in the 101st Airborne and actually in the 501st. And he actually jumped at D-Day at 1 a.m. Uh, out of a C-47, uh, very near the town of Carentan. And uh, what we've got here, uh, this is actually, we recovered Leo in series number 29 of this year. And uh, it was, we started broadcasting that on May the 29th of 2023. The interview itself took place almost exactly 20 years ago to the day on December the 5th, 2003. Wow. And uh, Leo has a very clear voice and he can tell that he's uh, told his story a lot because he's got a great storytelling nature to his voice here. But um, anyway, the first clip here is him talking about uh, what it was like being inside that plane as it approached the drop zone. Way we went. Planes took off at about just when it got dark at 10 o'clock. And they were all pulling a glider. And the planes took off. And I mean, tell me, we prayed for that plane. They seemed like they just couldn't get off the ground. Finally, they got off the ground. And them poor motors were straining like hell. And they took off and kept going. And we flew from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Coming close to about 12.45. Then suddenly we started seeing lightning. And then we started hearing hail. That was flak hitting the planes and ripping through the planes. And guys all of a sudden hollering, help, I'm been hit. And I said, oh my God, how can I fix anybody up in the plane here? Well, we had been told, don't worry about anybody's hit. Just let them leave them in the plane, let them come back. So I didn't take them. I just, we just had an orders to unhook them and then next thing you know, the green light came on, and out we went. And I was man number 23, except there was three fellas I had to step over. They had blood all over the floor of the airplane, and blood on the aluminum flooring is slick, slick, slick. 
and we were slipping around in that damn stuff, and I was glad to get out of there. And just as I got to the door, the guy in front of me was an infantryman. He stumbled and fell with his head out the door. Okay? And I was right behind him, so I just stepped right on top of him, and I went out in front of him. So Leo's obviously uh, got a great... Uh, way to kind of tell these stories and everything. And right. uh, the next clip here is what it was like. You'll hear Tony uh, about 20 years ago. So he sounds like he's 15, <laughs> but uh, you'll hear him ask, you know, what did you see when you stepped outside the plane? Could you describe what you saw when you looked out of the plane and you jumped? What, what was the scene like? Well, it was just like lightning in the sky, but see, they were throwing up flak at us and flak explodes you don't see no flak. You just hear it come whistling by you. And every time there's a flash and you hear some whistling, well, I didn't get hit that time. Mm-hmm. They, but we were scared sometimes that it's going to hit our chute and cut some of our lines. And when we jump out, our chute will malfunction and we'll drop. But anyway, we jumped out of the plane. I figured that we was about 85 to 90 feet from the water. As we was coming over the swamp, they gave us the green light. And I came out, and just as the chute opened, bang, I hit the water. So yeah. the chute will always open at 85 feet from the plane. So that's the reason I know I was 80, 85 to 90 feet from the plane, from the, above the ground. And the planes kept coming over, and I looked, looked up. and looked like a 4th of July celebration. I mean, they Anti-aircraft guns were shooting at them, tracers going up through the planes and everything. And the planes kept on going. They didn't come down. They just kept going. But that wasn't so because a lot of planes were knocked down. Isn't that an incredible account, Ray, of of what firsthand personal account? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great. And on top of that, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize, and and we we said this early on, but so he's a medic. And think about how helpless you'd feel. You're on this plane. You're number 23 in the back. Right. And you got three guys that are bleeding out in the plane, and and you, your orders are to ignore them, and that goes exactly. against step over that them. you were trained. Yes, yeah. yeah I mean, I can because that would be instinctual. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, this guy is, and and we'll get into this in a little bit later. This guy's been a caretaker his whole life, and so right. uh, at any rate, I, we we thought those were beautiful clips, but uh, yeah. Ryan's got a few more to share with you. Hold on, Ryan, before you do, because of what Ryan said a couple of minutes ago, that was an older clip. From now on, when I think of Tony's voice, I will think of, hello. But that's kind of a Mickey Mouse thing, isn't it? It's kind of like a Mickey Mouse thing. So hey, guys, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What's wrong with my voice? I felt it needed to be said. On on with the show. (laughs) See, now he knows who actually disrespected him before. And now I'm in the crosshairs. I see how this is. Uh, yes, I'm having a good time. <laughs> okay, uh, so when when Leo jumps out of the plane, he lands yes. in water. He lands in water, basically b- belly to to like armpit deep, and wow. he landed just west of Carentan on mm-hmm. the west side of the flooded Douve River Plain. I think I'm pronouncing the Douve River correctly or close to it. This Oklahoma accent here. So, <laughs> um, but he was immediately captured because there was a flak. Uh, basically a, a station just about 50 yards away from him oh, that man. were sh- just shooting at his plane. And he was, they saw him come down in the water and they, they essentially captured him after about 30 minutes of him playing hide and seek with those guys out in the water. Right. He was interrogated. He was put in holding in a pit in the ground with a mm. bunch of other guys that were captured. But then later on, as the, as the, the more and more people came in, the fighting got heavy, they needed another medic. So they brought Leo out of the hole to be right. a medic and work with the German medic. Um, then his best friend, Eddie Hall, was wounded and was brought in for uh, Leo to work on. Oh. Now I want to tell you one thing. Remember I told you about Eddie Hall? Well, after I was captured, they brought him in. Two riflemen had been captured with him, and they were carrying him on a ladder. Eddie had been hit in the back, and the bullet came out here. And when they come out, they 
exploded out of his stomach and blew his guts all over the place. Mm. And they come up there with him on that thing, and they were walking in his guts. They laid him down, and the German sanitator said, come on, you can fix him up. <clears throat> so I took a morphine surette and hit him in that arm, gave it to him, and hit him in that arm and gave it to him. And I said, Eddie, I looked at his dog tag, he's Catholic. I took his hands and folded across his chest. There was nothing I could do but lie to him, truthfully. I said, the Germans have got a hospital here, and when you come to, you're going to be just fine. You are lucky you, we got a hospital here. <coughs> Eddie, close your eyes. Fire the war. Do some air hymnal. Heli war to get now. Till us come to the Skate in video. Some of So us open your and get some of his blood and put it across on his forehead. That was the Lord's Prayer. And I said, repeated the Danish. Lord's Prayer Danish, in Danish sorry. to him and ended it with Amen, Amen, Amen. And then I went over there and got another suit right out and gave him another shot right here so it hit him quick. In five minutes he was dead. Mm -hmm. He was bleeding profusely. What else could I do for Eddie? That's the way I got my first case. And so it's just like you say, you know, there's a lot of wonderful things happen. But Eddie was my buddy. And it didn't make me cry or anything. Later on, I thought about it. Oh, God. What is his girlfriend back in somewhere near Sy Syracuse, New York? And I knew, he told me before we came in comment. Lois was her name, Lois Green. She said she she had gotten pregnant in December and she was carrying his baby. So imagine that. That's the yeah. first case he had to treat and it was his best friend. Right. And you know, then he's just got to move on. You, yeah, and you've got no time to think, no time to process. You're trying to survive yourself. Right. In, in that environment. And earlier Jeez. in the interview... We, yeah. you know, he talks to Eddie, he talks about Eddie when they're in England, when they're in basic training together. Mm -hmm. And so it shocked us when we were in his house collecting this audio. It's like, holy crap, this guy that he just spent a lot of time talking about these exploits he had with had passed away. And in case the audience missed it, um, the, the, these, these, uh, morphine, um, Sturettes, uh, there right. was some saying where one's for pain and two's for the afterlife or something like that. He gave him three. Yeah. Yeah. So he basically euthanized his best friend. Yes. And while he's a prisoner himself, I mean, just the, yeah, the layers of that yeah. moment. And again, he's just got to keep, because if he doesn't do what he's told by the Germans, they could get rough with him. So he's just got to suppress and move on. That's, that's horrific. Yeah. So at that point, um, after the battle of Normandy in that day, uh, subsided, he was marched with his hands on top of his head, mm -hmm. wearing only a thermal shirt, no pants, no <laughs> underwear, no shoes and no socks down the road in France with, uh, French girls walking by and right. he's ba buck naked from the, the chest down basically. Um, <laughs> He was shipped by train across Germany, and he would end up at Stalag 4B in Mulberg, Germany. Right. He would be put to work in the infirmary taking care of sick POWs. And next, he talks about uh, what he had ended up having to do as the head of the infirmary. I was responsible for the burial preparation of 100 Ameri 135 American soldiers who died in my war. I had recorded the illness, the cause of death, the date of capture, and details of the same, and also the name and address of the prisoner's family. These records I kept so I could write each soldier's next of kin the hour and date their soldier boy died. When the Russians took over our camp, 4B, they burned the German officers to the ground. So the, there the records went. Missing in action. They're still missing in action. I know there's some of them. I, I know them. They're dead. 
But they said, we haven't got the proof of it. They said, you got my proof. They said, hell, you weren't an officer. You don't count. Isn't that tragic? I mean, think of the yes. families who think their their sons are, you know, are, you know, obviously still listed as MIA. Right. But Leo, if, if they hadn't burned down those barracks, those officers' quarters where all those records were kept, he would have had 135 men off of that MIA list. Right. Yeah. Well, you know. it's it's like y'all said a, a couple of minutes ago when y'all when y'all go to talk to people. Sometimes a person might be more willing to to share with a stranger versus yeah. a family member because it's more so much more complicated with a family member. But I've I've got to think that those families, like you were saying, Ryan, those families could have greatly benefited from a letter going. You know, here's closure. Yes, he's not yeah. coming back. It's 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 bad what's happened, but now you know there's no doubt because it's the doubt that tears you apart and that gives you hope that you probably shouldn't have. Yeah, you're you're right. And and those letters, that closure is is a big deal. And we'll talk about that on the last clip we'll share with you from General Matz. But some other things about Leo really quick. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it sounded a little bit like he was reading at times from that last clip. It's right. because he wrote a memoir. And mm-hmm. Ryan explained gotcha. to explain to the audience how he was able to write this memoir, how he kept notes of everything. Yeah, actually, during while he was a, pr- a prisoner, um, mm-hmm. they would take the labels off of some of the cans they'd get in their their Red Cross packages, right? And he would keep take notes of everything on the back of these 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 labels of cans. Mm-hmm. And he had and he had this whole ritual he would go through on making sure that they would divide the food exactly equally among the prisoners because they didn't want anybody to feel like they were getting stiffed. Right. And, and he had all these labels to go by whenever he actually made, wrote this, this memoir. That's incredible. It yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Was, um, yeah. Well, so anyway, I just moving on here in the interest of time. Um, the last clip I want to play here, um, you know, after Leo was, was actually liberated, he was, mm-hmm. his camp was liberated by the Russians but he then witnessed, of course, the raping and the execution of of women um, outside of the, the the boundaries of the camp. Whenever they were free to come and go, after they had been liberated, he made right. it back to the USA. He would be subjected, though, after he came back to our own country, to public ridicule, and he was called coward at restaurants that he would eat in for being a P- former POW. They right. they really quick before you play this clip, they wouldn't even serve him, Ray. He mentioned Jeez. about pulling into some version of like a Walgreens to get some some yep. uh, dinner. They would when they found out they were POWs, they would not serve them. So that's something I think our audience, your audience, should probably know is the reverence we have for POWs now. That was not always the case. Um, wow, I, I, I did not know that. I, we didn't know that either. And and um, I, I think what happened is during Vietnam is when is when society started thinking, you know what? These guys went through, in many cases, more hell than infantry who weren't uh, captured, and they deserve our respect as well because you know, right. no, no one wants to get captured, right? No one exactly. goes to war and say, hey, I just want to go get captured. They don't want to do that. And the other thing that I want to say really quickly, you mentioned the, the, some of the rapes and stuff. It, the, the, he, he had a very negative view of how the Russians responded when they were let go. And right. there are some clips that we could share with you that are on our podcast that we didn't want to subject your audience to that are extremely, extremely disconcerting. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, Ryan, go ahead and uh, set sure. up the last clip. Sure. So uh, I think we, last year when we were on your show, Ray, we talked about how we were able to go back to Normandy, go to Normandy in 2022 with Bill Parker, who was a man we featured on your show last year. Right. Um, while we were there, we uh, – we actually had a map that Leo had given us when we interviewed him in 2003 mm. that showed the spot where he landed, where he was captured. Cool. And so Tony right. and I, along with our wives, piled in the car. One morning we drove out, found this location, and we walked through knee-deep grass down a cow trail. And we ended up out on this area that was a, a dike essentially looking right. out over the, the plane toward, you know, to the East towards Carentan. And right. we had with us Leo's own handwritten account of what it was like when he went back in 1999 uh, and visited that spot. Wow. And we, we, we wanted to film ourselves reading his account um, 
from the very location that he sat at 50, you know, 20 years prior to that or so. Well, while we were there, something very interesting happened. And here's, uh, here's what happened. This is almost like uh, oh. <laughs> divine intervention. Probably. It's an airborne paratrooper. So while we're reading this, yeah, the, and, and they had the invasion stripes on it, even though it was um, a more modern uh, transport. And Ray, this thing, it looked like it saw us out there, the pilot, and nosed over and flew right over our heads. I don't mean like we were reading this and a plane flew by. Right. right. I mean, it, it felt like, you know, Ryan did some... Th- trick and called up the air force and say hey we're gonna we're gonna yes. trespass onto this person's property can you fly around at 10 17 a.m yeah right, right. we're gonna go out there and we'd like to have a flyover for our podcast i mean you couldn't have set it up any better right. than that serendipitous to say well, the least yeah and speaking well, of that go ahead ryan well i'm just gonna ask you ray have you yeah. ever had these experiences where uh you the the coincidences are just so strange you know, so out of this world that you're yeah. maybe doing research and you come across something that, uh, that just serendipitously, like you said, happens where it, it fits right into what you're looking for or something. We've had yeah. several instances where this is one of them, where it, it's almost as if, you know, there's a divine hand there guiding this to happen. Or Leo himself is saying, you know what, let's make this plane fly, fly right over these boys. You know, <laughs> I like and, that image. I yeah. mean, and it, it's exactly how it impacted me that way. I just wonder if you've had any similar sorts of things like that. Yeah. You, you do this, you do this long enough. And I think maybe subconsciously you, you start to pull things together that you later on figure out, or you, you don't even know that you're heading towards something, but yeah, when you have those magical moments, they just tend to work out when you really are dedicated to something and you do it a lot and you end up creating opportunities for yourself that you don't know. And you're right. Sometimes it's like, if I can, it's like that, that, that defied a lot of odds. What just happened? I mean, that's right. Makes you think. It, it certainly it sure makes does. you think. Yeah. It, it, it definitely makes us ponder. And and as serendipity would mm-hmm. have it, the um the 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 podcast episode that you had us produce because of your illness and that mm-hmm. you made fun of us for <laughs> actually had to do with <laughs> actually has to do with the next set of clips. Okay. Well, I was going to make fun of you any either way, but please continue, please. So this is yeah. So what what you prepared that I read from um, uh, was army groups army groups north mm-hmm. foray into uh, into the Eastern Front and ultimately going after Leningrad and then surrounding it and then right. and then having the siege of Leningrad, which is one of the most historic sieges of any city. In human history. Absolutely. And yeah. it just so happens that I think back in 2006, um, I interviewed somebody who um, who went to our church. <laughs> His name was Johannes Gru. He goes by John Gru. Mm-hmm. And he was a German. He emigrated over here in the 50s. And he served in the Wehrmacht. He served in the 489th Grenadier Regiment, right. the 269th Division of the 18th Army of Army Group North. And wow. and here it is. You're having, you know, you're having, uh, you know, kind of me read this uh, for that podcast episode mm-hmm. of yours, which just dropped what two or three weeks ago, right? And so we, I, I pulled out like three or four clips. Um, I wasn't going to feature Gru this year, but I think we will now. I have eight DVDs worth of material on him. Wow! I went to his house for five weekends straight. He was, I think, ninety nine at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, the audio quality is not ideal, so I'm sure. going to be uh, doing some a little bit of narrating, a little bit of amplification of what's said. All right, but I, but I just thought, hey, you're covering a northern front around Leningrad. Let's let's yeah. hear from a, a German who was part of that. So we're, yeah. the first the first clip, one of the things that we ask our American veterans 
often is like, did you ever think that the, that we would lose the war? Mm. And they all say, hell no, we're not going to lose the war. <laughs> we're America. But right. I, I, I wondered as these Germans were marching east into this frozen tundra, it got colder and colder, right. and they were under this siege. Did, did, did they feel the same way? And so go, Rowan, play the, this first clip, Ryan. Yeah, I think we did. Because, okay. we, well, because we had no reason to doubt it. Because we were in Norway, we had all our friends. Uh, the British, they just hung on for dear life. Mm -hmm. We had all of Russian Russia to speak as I mean of uh, Western Russia, mm -hmm. you know. And, they, uh, and we had enough to eat. So basically what he said there is, yeah, we were going to win the war. We had, we had yeah. dominated Western mm -hmm. Europe. We had defeated France. Britain was on the ropes. You, you just, you're, you were rolling through the Mediterranean campaign um, where outside of some of the battles with, um, with Admiral Cunningham, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the British were on the ropes at this time. They, they certainly were, yeah, they were in no position yeah. to, to do anything with the Germans. So, so the, 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 if, if this is emblematic of the German at that time and, and he joined this effort in September of 1941. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Then it goes to show that you had an army with high morale. He said they weren't hungry. They, they, they felt like they were going to win this war. Yeah. They hadn't lost yeah. yet. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so the next clip, we've had three clips. This is the second one. Mm -hmm. Is they, they make the transition. The German army makes the transition from attack to siege. And, and, and in the script that you wrote, you speak of that, that transition right. as Adolf Hitler and Army Group Center decide to focus their efforts on Moscow. And so here's some of the things that were going on in the early days of the siege. So go ahead and play this clip. And you never knew what was, you couldn't see very far. You know, the Russians could sneak up on us real close and, and we snuck up real close on the Russians too. Mm -hmm. And there are some things yeah. we had one guy one guy they uh, he knew Russian and he snuck up on the Russian guards uh, patrolling there you know and they were and they were uh, talking I said what they talk about oh they talk about their girlfriends that's the same thing Everywhere, yeah, world. you know, they couldn't give a rip. You know, they didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be there today. Yeah, they're still there. It, it's all the same, isn't it, Ray? Yes, things I never mean, change. It, they never change. It, yeah. So a German who speaks Russian sneaks to the to the to the Russian trenches to eavesdrop, mm -hmm. and they're talking about girlfriends or talking about not wanting to be there. Yeah, it was it was like that World War One. It's like that in Ukraine right now. Yeah, the human condition. You want peace, stability, love, encouragement, not being in the trenches. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. And this last clip is um, a little unsettling. It, it might be good that the audio is not as great, but right. I'll 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 explain it. So let me set this up. Mm -hmm. So this is he has his uh, photo album out, and he's right. going through pictures. And there's one picture he stops. It's a picture of a 37 millimeter anti-tank gun. So okay. Gru was Gru was a medic during this, and he was a medic for this battalion. It was an anti-tank battalion of the 489th Infantry Regiment. Mm -hmm. And so when the line stagnated, the men started to I don't, I don't know get bored, whatever you want to call it. Sure. And uh, and this is one of the things that he witnessed. Yeah, we were evil. You were what? Evil. <laughs> well, I don't. I, yeah, I, I don't. It's kind of strong word, don't you think? You think we were evil? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I did here? Mm -mm. I think. The turned this they the Russians were on the other side. Mm -hmm. 
Russian soldiers. Mm-hmm. Only the boys here, they decided not to kill any tanks, you know, tanks. Mm-hmm. So just if there's some boys or the Russians, they're bang. And you saw a head flying there, another body for that. That's evil. Wow. That's war. When the guy said that, oh, good. Yeah. Mm. So what he just said, again, the audio is difficult to hear. He's almost 100. Right. They, they took their anti-tank gun and they were aiming it, instead of at tanks, at a, a, there's a gap in the in the trench across from them that the Russians were in. Right. And once in a while they could see a Russian go by and they would shoot a 37 millimeter anti-tank round yeah. at these Russians. And when they hit them, he said the head would fly off in the air and they would all cheer and go, hooray, hooray. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think the reason I wanted to pull these clips for, for your audience, Ray, as we talk about the siege of Leningrad is just because there's a siege doesn't mean there's not a bunch of horror. It's not like it's not like he had two armies just kind of sitting around waiting it out. Right. Um, yeah. They they were doing these terrible, despicable things every freaking day that was going on. I think the I think the English called it during World War One wastage. Wastage right. was just the number of men who died every day because they were fighting in a trench, even when there was not an offensive operation going on. Absolutely, yeah. Now, because you you literally have to dehumanize in order to get to that point. Uh, there's a saying, something like, "There's not, there's very few things that are more dangerous than a bored soldier." You got a bunch of kids around. <laughs> yes. They got guns. They got stuff. They're going to come up with ways to distract themselves. We'll and and that's like, what they yeah. were doing. And that's yeah. why he said that they were evil because this is how they distracted yeah. themselves. And and to me, I. I, I still think it's a strong word. I think evil is in the hearts of all of us. Right, but right. I think that there are certain situations that you put people in yeah, and they're capable of anything. And I don't think that makes them evil. It makes them kind of a victim of, do, do you think any of those guys wanted to be sitting in those trenches doing that crap? None of exactly. them. Exactly. And, and they, they've been programmed at least since 1933 when Hitler came to power that everything that he says is right. You do your duty. And, and, and again, it's kind of hard for Americans. I know you know this already, but it's kind of hard for Americans to fully appreciate the concept of duty to a German citizen in the 1930s, in the 1940s, when they gave their word to the leader of their country, they meant it. They yes. meant it to the point where a lot of them couldn't really resist until he killed himself. That's how mm-hmm. binding that concept is for, you, you know, for them. You are 100% correct. He ended up writing this 100-page memoir, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to put it on our website. So and anytime we feature a veteran, we I create a little web page, and I put any documents they shared with Excellent. Simon, so you can check it out. Yeah. And um, and he speaks to exactly what you said, Ray, that, that this honor oath thing, that, that, that that is a – there's a degree of seriousness that he said Americans do not understand when it comes to German culture. Exactly. And I want to end with just one quick thing that I read from this about, so again, we're talking about the siege of Leningrad. This is what the living conditions were like. He writes, there was no electricity, no water in the house that they were staying in, but they had boxes for flowers mounted under most windows. For water, people had to go to the village lake, which was right next to the sauna. During the winter, a big hole enough for a bucket had to be kept open. The bucket was on a long rope and kept near the hole. And the first time I got water and poured it into a container, some water splashed on my uniform and froze instantly. I simply brushed off the ice. There was no wet spot. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Oh, That's wow. cold. These yeah. are the conditions that they were living in. So I, I just wanted to kind of share with your audience a little bit more about the human condition behind a really important segment that you're going through right now on your timeline. No, I, I'm glad you did. because, And you made the point earlier about they're having to switch from the offense to the defense. I mean, one, they hadn't lost yet. Two, they were able to tear up to that point to get close to Leningrad and to suddenly slowly realize over what the thing was like three, three and a half years, the siege was, uh, that you're not going to win. I mean, mm-hmm. that's so you suffered all of that hardship for nothing. So, but yeah. <laughs> We do what yeah you know, we do what we're told to do, right? Uh, pretty much, especially the Germans during World War II. <laughs> yes, so. yes. So, I mean, one of the things that I, that struck me listening to him describe that first of mm-hmm. all, 
you could tell he got he he started talking very soft like yeah. he was embarrassed about it yes. he was ashamed of what they did and it sat, you, you, it could have been a world war 1 veteran telling that story mm-hmm. it sounds exactly like something that they were probably did back you know a trench warfare back in world war 1 and right. uh very powerful i mean tony that's i can't wait to hear the rest of that series remember we start getting into that stuff he sounds oh, yeah. fascinating and ray we'll let you know when we drop it so you yes, can check please. it out i mean there Absolutely. there are some things that he says on these eight dvds yeah. that are um holy crap you know gird your loins as ryan would say when you listen to it oh my uh, lord and, and can i just say um i mean yes that's that when he said evil maybe the word cruel might have been a little bit more apt, but the point is, and again, this is why I wanted you gentlemen to come on the show. He was there. He yes. was a participant. He yeah. was a witness. I mean, that's just staggering. And, and, and you just really appreciate being them sharing their experiences with us. Amen. Even though we have disrespected you and you don't like us, we are kindred souls, Ray. There's a lot <laughs> of things you like that it we or agree not. with. Whether you like it or not, you're, 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 yeah. I don't know what to say. So, yeah. so we have we have four more clips from a okay. different veteran that will will wrap this up. Okay. Um, this veteran is Major General William Matz, and William Matz is has uh, distinguished himself his entire life. Mm-hmm. He was someone who joined the military. Um, in the early 60s. He fought the Vietnam War of Distinction. He won the nation's second highest honor behind the Medal of Honor, the Distinguished Service Cross. He won the Silver wow. Star, the Purple Heart. He won, um, oh geez, four uh, merits of legion, of, 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 I'm sorry, merits of, yeah, legions merits of, of merit. legion, legions of merit. Thank you. The LOMs. Mm-hmm. He served under five different presidents in very high ranking capacities, wow. starting with right. Reagan and ending with Trump. And he did all of these exploits as someone who had a withered leg from childhood polio. Oh wow! I, I, I don't, so 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 before we play this first clip, here's here's yeah. how we set this up. He's yeah. a young man. He has childhood polio. One leg is withered. It's a, he wears a size nine on that shoe on mm-hmm. that foot and a size twelve on the other. And right. yet he makes it into the military. He joins an airborne unit, the eighty second airborne. He goes to Korea. This is after the war. But he goes to Korea to kind of get infantry training. And then the Vietnam War goes hot. And he's a company commander of a riverine force uh, south of Saigon in the Mekong Delta. So his job, he's got 150 men. They're on boats. He's never trained to fight from boats before. He's in the army, for God's sake. He has to figure that out. And and their job is to go and interdict and disrupt the, the VC that are just infested in this area. And it's just before Tet Offensive when he gets there. He gets there basically December in of, Yeah, December of 67. Exactly. And then Tet wow. would be just the following year. So yeah. in this first clip, I think this is his fourth time in combat. And, uh, and he wins a Silver Star. This is December 4th, 1967. Next to the, the, uh, the, the Tet Offensive, which would happen, what, a month or so later, December 4th was the worst fight I was in. We were ambushed. We were going up the Rock Rung Canal. Early morning hours, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And there was a Vietnamese uh, a Marine battalion that was attached that preceded this. They got through the uh, ambush area. And then they hit my boats from both sides. And we had the beach. Uh, they killed the Navy coxswain who was in my boat, and uh, we beached and uh, lowered the ramp and went up and uh, and then fought for the next day and a half. Uh, the VC were on both sides of the banks, and uh, it was a tough day. It was a bad day. And so his commendation for the Silver Star, I'm not going to read it word for word, right. but basically the reason he got the Silver Star is they went in this beach hot. Is think of it kind of like a little baby Normandy where you go in mm-hmm. and all your men are falling. Right. And he he led from the front. He called in fire support. Uh, he exposed himself, they say, courageously exposed himself to hostile gunfire in order to run to the lead element in direct gunships and artillery. He got chastised by a lieutenant colonel after this battle for using the gunships too much. 
Uh, he said, you know, basically this this lieutenant colonel said, you know, we got three other companies out there. So he was he was in charge of three companies to a brigade. He was in charge of, comp- of uh, Company C. Right. And he told that lieutenant, lieutenant colonel to go to hell. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's like, well, then get more gunships. These are my men out there. Yeah. And, whatever and it I'm takes gonna, to survive. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it just – and it was it was just a month after this where – Tet Offensive uh, would start, and this is where he would win, earn the second highest medal for valor in the United States, the Distinguished Service Cross. Go ahead and restart that. We're going to leave all this edit in there. Let me say one more thing about this clip for the audience. Yeah. He would win this Distinguished Service Cross. He was Company C. Tet Offensive had started. He had gone in. Company A was pinned down. There was four men who were wounded, and they were trapped. And the question right. I asked him before this clip was, you're a captain. You've got lieutenants and sergeants and privates. Why did you go out there and rescue those four men? That's, yeah. that's why he got the Distinguished Service Cross. And here's his answer as to why he went out there. Because a couple other men had already tried. We lost the lieutenant platoon leader doing it. Uh, one or two other men had tried. And remember, this is a company now, see the you know, I had moved up. This was these these were a company people. Mm-hmm. So when I got up there on the scene, and this one guy is screaming and yelling, "Sir, there they are! You got to get them!" Da 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 da. Uh, I'm not saying panic was setting in, but I just said, "Shit, I'm the guy here. I'm not going to tell other people get, to get down and get them." All of this wow. with a withered leg from childhood polio. Let me read these two sentences from his award. All right. It reads, while directing uh, his company in the attack, Captain Matz discovered four casualties pinned down by withering fusillade. He immediately ran to the aid of one of them and was wounded in the arm, was shot in the arm as he dragged him to a safe position. Ignoring his painful injury, he made three more trips through heavy hostile fire to rescue the remaining men. And then he would continue to fight for several more days afterwards after he rubbed some dirt in his arm from the bullet wound and kept going. Jeez. Okay. I'm never going to complain about anything ever <laughs> again. Oh my God. I'm a pansy. I do. We so, all are compared to this guy. He's yes. 85 years old. You listen to his voice. He's writing a book right now. It's going to be great. And we got, okay. we got two, two more clips to share with you. Okay. Uh, one is we've seen these scenes probably in the movies or read in books about you have to write the letters home. Well, that falls on the captain. Actually, no, that's the last clip we're going to play. The next one we're right. going to play is on, um, I said, what was the most challenging thing you had to learn mm-hmm. as an infantry captain um, in combat? And this is what he said. But you, 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 know, you are taking casualties. And uh, when do you sort of stop the momentum of your attack and get those casualties out? And uh, the men, as soon as a guy's hit, you hear medic, medic. The screaming of that medic is still rings in my ears. So, so that was a big, that, that always was on my mind. And as I look back and as I've been writing my book this last year and a half, these things come back to me. And uh, again, I was a, just a young officer. Uh, but it's, it's when do you stop the fight? And once you stop the fight, you're giving the enemy the edge again. So Ray, I'm sure, and Ryan, you guys have seen like movies where men are attacking and they're falling. Right. And and you know when when do you when do you say stop? We're done. We're retreating. When, yeah. I, it, so, it, you it's like saying? a mathematical formula. You you play the odds. You play the percentages. I guess. Yeah, because you got these two missions, right? Then they're kind of conflicting. One is or two objectives. One is to accomplish the mission. Right, and the other is to do it with the fewest amount of casualties as possible. I, yeah, Tony, I don't like to compliment you like ever, but that was no. That's a brilliant point. It's like you're exactly right. Do this, but lose as few guys as possible. I mean, you know, it's just how are you supposed to thread that needle? I guess is the same. Yes, and, and now so this last clip about the mm-hmm. letters home he had to write kind of comes full circle. If you remember in a Leo Westerholm clip. He had kept records of all the men he had to bury so that the people back home, their family, had some closure. Right. And, and it's really important. And Matt's talks to this on this clip. 
Yeah, because this is a letter coming from me who was with their soldier when he died. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, this is not the stateside chaplain coming in saying something. Yep. But I was there. I may not have been right next to their son or or uh, uh, or husband or whatever, but I was there and tried. You tried to explain the operation as best you can. And I have, I have, not, I have letters today from people who've written back to me, families who thank me, and and so forth. Wow. I mean, I, I don't want to write those letters. Do yeah, you? exactly. I would not even. What do you say? There's nothing you can say that will make them pe- those people feel any better. And, and the thing I did not know, and I didn't include because the clip would be too long, is that how how this worked was if someone was a KIA, they died, right? Um, the captain who would write the letter had to wait until the state department notified the family stateside through this chaplain or whomever mm-hmm. to say, Hey, your son or daughter has died in combat. And we regret to inform you of that. Then yeah. they would let the combat, the company commander, the captain know, and it was their job to send a message to those individuals that described in much more detail. Mm-hmm. the events that occurred where that individual had been killed. Right. And it reminds me of a story that I heard when I visited Arlington National Cemetery years ago, where apparently some American general was taking a general from another country on the tour of the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And the the foreign general said, now I know why you Americans fight so hard, because you take better care of your dead than you do your living. And what he and it was powerful. And what he meant by that is these things that the American army does. These are all things that that cause these men to be willing to fight, to go out there, to know that they're important, that they they won't be forgotten, they won't be left behind, they won't be they won't be fertilized or left in the Mekong Delta. And I thought it was really powerful to hear from someone who had to write those letters. Yeah, we certainly do honor uh, the men and women in uniform. Uh, you know, what, what's the saying? They're they're on the wall. They're standing on the wall, keeping us safe. So we certainly do appreciate that. Uh, um, if you have anything else, please can, uh, let me know. But 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 uh, yeah, go I, ahead, Ryan. I, I don't, I, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I Sorry. just want to make one last statement. You know, one of the one of uh, General Matz's last assignments was he was the head of the American Battle Monuments Commission. Oh, wow. So he was in charge of all the military cemeteries around right. the world. And it was very fitting. I mean, this is a man who would understand the yes. necessity, like just that last clip of, of the letters home. And yeah. how, when do you stop the fighting? He understood what was behind all this. So uh, I think it was a fitting, you know, assignment for him. And right. uh, man, his, his, his voice is so clear. Everything sounded so great. It's one of the best, interviews i think that that we've done in a long time and tony did a great job with it so yeah yeah he had, he had some powerful words so um yeah please feel free to add anything else you want but before we go uh remind everybody again of your podcast and your mission yeah so the podcast is the warrior next door podcast it can be found on any major podcast sites we also have our own website warriornextdoorpodcast.com and uh, you can go on that podcast, it, not podcast, but the website and see the latest happenings. And also there's, uh, you can see the, um, a web page is available for every veteran we feature on our podcast. If you click on it, you can not only access the podcast, mm-hmm. but the raw interview that we pulled clips from and any supporting documents, any maps, any memoirs they shared with us. It's turning into a really interesting repository. And if you visit the podcast since the last year that we met with you, uh, Ray, mm-hmm. we've had buglers on battleships. We featured POWs, uh, Navy signalmen, help. We even we even featured a house. We have a podcast episode on a freaking house. Right. So, <laughs> so that's how person. that's how much we're digging into the uh, into the bottom of the barrel here. No, no so, just kidding. <laughs> No, it's it, it's a really interesting story. So, so you know, I, I just want we definitely appreciate the fact that your wife and you allow us to be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, our audiences are are very similar. I think we complement each other well. Absolutely, and man, dude, this is we look forward to this every year. I'm not just saying that. I'm over here like all giddy. I'm probably gonna have a beer at lunchtime just so I can calm down. 
<laughs> I'm going to have a beer either way. Oh, and, and, and I should have told everybody at the beginning of the show, I'm coming off the effects of NyQuil. So if I made less than normal sense, that's why. So I, I apologize. Yeah. I don't think you need a beer. Just go do another shot on NyQuil. I mean, it's the same effect, <laughs> then right? I'll, then I'll be good. Then I'll be good. No, but yeah, no, I, uh, again, but seriously, I, I really do appreciate you guys coming on and, and what the work that you're doing, like you said, compliments this very well. And in, in a lot of ways, it's so much more important. So um, unless something incredible happens, we'll go ahead and book for next November. Right. Uh, so put that in your oh, calendar yeah. and uh, we'll go from there. But again, um, I, Ryan, Tony, thank you very much. And I hope one of you have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Take care. We're going to take care. Thank you, Ray. Thank well, we hope you enjoyed this air raid edition of the Warrior Next Door podcast and encourage our listeners to check out the history of World War II with Ray Harris Jr. If you haven't already, Uh, Not only is it a great podcast, but Ray's a great guy, and he's really been a benefactor for this particular podcast, many of whom have come to The Warrior Next Door through listening to Ray Harris Jr. So we want to thank him and our audience for listening to The Warrior Next Door.